today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Lots of uh, chatter, obviously, on the world, I guess, breathing a giant sigh of relief with uh, administration changes in the United States. Lots of people have talked about world order. You remember when uh, when Donald Trump came into office, he was more friendly with our traditional enemies and seemed to tick off our allies. And uh, many cha- many thought about how that would change uh, the world order and, and uh, you know, perhaps that was giving a leg up to countries like Russia and China and such. Uh, and we all know where that discussion is, especially with relationships uh, not only with the United States and China, but certainly uh, as a result of uh, with Canada and China. And we certainly know the history there and where it has gone uh, in regard to the two Michaels. Uh, but now this is continuing to be in the news. And how will uh, the change in administration uh, change relationships with China all over the world? Let's bring in Ben Roswell, President, Canadian International Council. And he is with us now. Ben, thank you for the time. I hope you're well i am thank you very much thanks for having me on the show uh just your thoughts on uh, the change in administration south of the border how do how does china view this change in the administration oh well um i can only think that uh there'll be uh some relief in uh changing the administration from the from beijing's perspective as well as uh, as well as from every other capital in the world, in that there's uh, there's now an administration in the United States um, that's going to be making decisions against uh, a rational assessment of America's national interests and uh, a commitment to doing so in collaboration with uh, with uh, other countries around the world. There's a, a sort of a, a rationality uh, to decision making that's being that should be. Uh, restored, and with that comes predictability and the other, the other kind of um, advantages um, to sane decision making that uh, either allies or adversaries of the United States will uh, will uh, will I think appreciate. And so, you know, I think this is uh, this is good news for all of us. And, so is of, it, sorry. Go ahead. No, continue on. Well, in terms of the long term. There's a long-term competition between China and the United States, and that exists regardless of who's in power in the two different uh, in the two different countries. To some extent, I think it was in China's interest to have a weak leader in Washington and a a leader who was not um, very committed to advancing the national interests of the United States. Um, but that's a, that only confers a kind of short-term advantage. Um, I think to the extent that. The Chinese government is thinking long term about advancing their interests. It's better for them to work with a with an administration in Washington that's um, that's got a a predictable worldview and a um, and a and a, a strong sense of what the United States uh, wants and an ability to uh, align those decisions between the various actors in the American foreign policy establishment. It was odd at times. Uh, it seems that Donald Trump would con- uh, contradict himself. At times, he would be very envious of the situation in China, and then at other times, uh, obviously uh, criticize them. Uh, w- would they rather have uh, uh, something with less stability and that, that perhaps uh, praises them in some way, or more stability and and less friendly? Uh, I think stability is is. Uh is going to be an advantage here um, because w- with that you can start making longer term plans. I mean, when you've got a pyrotechnic, uh, py- uh, what's a pyromaniac in the mm. uh, in the 
uh, in the other corner. Um, there's, I suppose, some calculations that he might end up burning himself and his uh, his friends and allies, and um, and that that could be uh, an advantage. But it's just so unpredictable that that kind of um, instability that we've seen out of Washington these last four years is, is not even in the interest of, of America's adversaries and certainly much less uh, its friends. Now, I think the one thing that China will be concerned about is that in its approach to the rivalry with China, the Biden administration is not going to go it alone. Um, it has signaled already that it will be reaching out to other liberal democracies to create a, a more united front. That's been a a consistent theme from Jake Sullivan, the new national security uh, director, um, Anthony Blinken, the new secretary of state. And they've even identified a major Asia specialist, Kurt Campbell, uh, to start pulling together uh, liberal democracies in a more coordinated approach to confront China. Um, And so that's got to, um, I'm sure that's got uh, some people in Beijing uh, sitting up and worrying right now that, the liberal democracies are powerful when they collaborate with one another. Um, they're weak when they can be separated and, and uh, played off against one another. But when they're able to pre- present a, a united front, that's when uh, an autocracy, a dictatorship, even one as large and as powerful as China, uh, needs to be really worried that was my next question is, ooh, does this change the way the ally, uh, way allies look at this? Um, you know, obviously at one point, uh, in the last couple of decades, uh, China was the golden goose. It was where the, it was the land of opportunity. Everybody wanted a piece of that. And then things just, just went south, it seems, in China. Things just, the, the, the whole, uh, the whole mentality changed. We all thought that when the handover of Hong Kong happened, that China would become more like Hong Kong instead of the other way around. So, so obviously, uh, those relationships with all the allies have have taken a turn. Now that uh, now that Donald Trump has sort of gotten rid of this, all you know, uh, uh, I'm, I'm looking after only America's interests here, and and the Biden administration has a more global view. Uh, will these allies banding together? actually make china notice i mean china's uh, its perception in the world has drastically changed the people's perception of china uh will this now make them realize that will they uh, will, will they see that this world order is changing a bit well this is a um, I, I don't actually have the answer for that because it depends a lot on chinese leadership of course it's not just the United States that's had this major change in how it was governed these last four years. There's been major changes in the Chinese government as well. It's gone from a more collective system of uh, of leadership um, by several people at the top of the of the Communist Party hierarchy in concert with one another to a one-man show under Xi Jinping. The weaknesses of one-man shows are that um, the flow of information is... Uh, um, not as reliable, and mm-hmm. the decision-making um, depends a lot more just on the whims of one single person. So in the China that we had before Xi Jinping, the Hu Jintao regime or, or others, I think you could count on there being kind of rational uh, decision-making processes. Now that it's really all down to one one megalomaniac, there is a, a little bit of unpredictability on, uh, on the other side. The, the, the challenge when you've got uh, it's not really a, de- a debate between de- democracies and autocracies. It's about the effectiveness of decision-making systems. And the, the Beijing 
regime has become less effective in decision making as power has been overly centralized in in one person. Um, so it'll be un, um, difficult to predict, uh, but all the more reason, I think, for us to, to show strength through our collective approach by uniting the, uh, the liberal democracies. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, World Health Organization there uh, conducting investigations. Uh, any more information on that? Uh, do you think they will get to the bottom of how this all started? Well, the big change since the last time I was on your show two weeks ago is that the Beijing government did actually allow a WHO team uh, to enter. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been some quite useful reporting out of there, and I think we are starting to see a clearer image uh, emerging of the origins of this uh, of this pandemic. Um, whether we're able to implement the lessons learned from this will depend a little bit on the, the willingness of member states and the WHO to grant more power to the uh, to the organization um, on from what I understand it's relatively there's a relatively common picture across most global health experts and most people in the WHO about how to stop pandemics from happening the challenges are all at the political level of whether national governments will uh, allow the kind of collective decision making that needs to happen internationally to go ahead so for example, there are regulations of the WHO that currently require any government that's had a an outbreak um, in its in its country to uh, to decide whether to allow the WHO in to uh, to investigate. There's no automaticity for that. Um, there have been some proposals that those regulations be changed so that there's kind of an automatic reaction as soon as we see a new infectious disease start to spread like wildfire fire through a country or starting to, to cross international boundaries, that there's a more automatic response uh, right now. But that requires a degree of collaboration between the member states of the WHO, which is not currently the case. Uh, the United States Canada should be pressing for. Biden announced that he, they, they're not going to withdraw from the WHO. Does, does that change the discussion in any way? Uh, well, it, it Change the pace and provides an opportunity uh, for countries that are part of the WHO to uh, um, to hope that we might be able to reform the organization and equip it with the powers to handle the next epidemic more effectively to prevent an epidemic from becoming a uh, a pandemic. Up until now, I think there's there's been a kind of break on any efforts to reform the WHO based on the, the threat of the largest country and the largest donor, the United States, uh, pulling out. Now, that doesn't solve all the problems to have the United States back in, but to have the U.S. move from the category of being a problem to being a potential uh, contributor to the solution provides a window of opportunity for us to now seize. And so what I'm hoping is countries like Canada will will realize that this is it might be a short-term opportunity as this window opens and to put our proposals for change on the table now that you've got a new set of actors coming into Washington that are going to be open to more effective international collaboration. We certainly know uh, of the human rights uh, abuses in China, uh, whether it's the two Michaels, the Uyghurs, what have you. Uh, the Prime Minister has warned Canadian companies in China to avoid using forced labor. What does that mean? And can you police that? That was quite extraordinary, actually, to have the prime minister to weigh in 
on uh, on the behavior or the activities of individual uh, Canadian companies. Uh, Why now? I mean, uh, so <laughs> I think it's a little uh, late, but better late than never. Uh, the, the federal government um, adopting a more skeptical uh, approach to the Chinese uh, government and to the the abuses of uh, human rights that we're seeing. Um, you know, you've got the U.S. government now calling the uh, the behavior of the Chinese government in Xinjiang a genocide. Like that's pretty strong, uh, strong language. Um, the Canadian government has not found um, the strength to to use those same uh, those same terms. Um, but with these this um, new statement from uh, from uh, from Justin Trudeau, I think they're at least moving into into the right direction. You know, we might find ourselves really on the wrong side of history here if we don't take effective action to um, confront the Chinese on. Uh, the terrible things that are, they're doing to the weaker people in uh, in Xinjiang. Uh, there's very limited uh, levers that we have at our disposal to do anything about it. But one of them is uh, some oversight over the activities of uh, of Canadian companies. And so, sanctions over company uh, on com- companies that are benefiting from uh, some of the terrible. Labor practices, the uh, use of slave labor in uh, in Xinjiang, I think, is the, the starting point. I certainly wouldn't end there, but that's a it's a, a, an important place for us to start. I would like to see the Canadian government actually consider whether we should also be using the term genocide to describe the systematic activity of the Chinese government uh, to eliminate the collective identity of the Muslims in the western part of their country, mm. as the United States has now done. As the administration has changed in the United States, China sanctions 28 members of Trump's administration, including uh, Steve Bannon, Pompeo. Uh, what, what's the significance of that? What is why do that now? Is they're leaving? I suppose they're uh, they're trying to raise the cost to the United States and other countries from this new uh, trend of individual sanctions against decision makers, the Magnitsky uh, sanctions, as they're called. Right. Is a, this is a relatively new thing to try and introduce penalties against individuals because of the participation they make in the decision-making of a state is a, is a relatively uh, new tool. And it's one that um, many countries around the world are, are really worried about. Obviously, in autocratic governments, uh, they're worried about it because some of the individuals in decision-making positions there could end up on the wrong side of the stick. But there's also a, a precedent that's, um, that's shifting here in, uh, in how countries try to shape behavior and uh, actions of other countries. Um, so I think what the Chinese government is trying to do is to show the United States you sanction our, uh, our political leaders and will sanction yours and revert to that logic that has undergirded international law since the beginning of time, which is tit for tat. You do something I don't like, and I'm going to do something you don't like. Um, I still think there's some value to these individual sanctions. Magnitsky-style sanctions are uh, are an effective tool, and uh, I don't think we should abandon them just because of the reciprocal activities of the Chinese government. But conversely, we should probably expect that Canadian officials will start to be sanctioned 
by the Chinese government and uh, and others uh, to the extent that we start using Magnitsky-style sanctions. That's just the way that the international system works, and it's a, a cost that we'll have to bear uh, as we start to roll out these tools to uh, uh, to take a stand on some of the worst human rights abuses in the world these days. Now that the administration has changed and allies will regroup on all of this, um, because it seemed during the Trump administration that, you know, there was a free reign to do as you wish, you know, the cat's away, the mice will play, sort of speak. Uh, now that things are the way they are, uh, and, you know, we're coming out of a global pandemic, uh, investigations onto how it started, uh, and, and that sort of thing, is China becoming aware of the world perception of itself and how it has drastically changed in the last couple of years. Are they, are they aware they have gone from golden goose to, in a lot of people's minds, public enemy number one? Yeah, I do think the Chinese government has a pretty good sense uh, of how they're perceived around the world. And I, I think they don't care. <laughs> I think they're, that's what uh, I've seen. That's what I, that's what I hear when I ask any expert. Yeah, yeah, so what? <laughs> Uh, well, it's not necessarily so wide because I, I do think it's important um, that uh, it, it does represent a loss of Chinese power. Uh, soft power is power. And so when other countries start to distrust you and start to dislike you, you, you do lose power. Um, I think that the Chinese government and under Xi Jinping is making the calculation that it's gaining enough in terms of economic power and military power and technological power that it can afford, it can afford to fritter away its uh, its soft power. It's not the calculation I would necessarily make, but the fact that they're willing to make it, that they're willing to disarm themselves, essentially to, you know, to use the, the terms of a surrender, like to kind of surrender their soft power, uh, sends a signal uh, to us that we can't rely on those uh, those forms of. Um, of engagement that that reliance on China being worried about the 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 opinions of others or trying to avoid a you know being shamed or what have you those are no longer available to us as uh, tools hmm. in ensuring that that, that uh, China upholds international standards and acts as a responsible global citizen and that means as those as we lose access to those tools we then have to rely. Ben Roswell has been with us, President Canadian International Council, talking about uh, ongoing Canada-China relations and how that changes with a ch- with a different administration in the United States. Ben, thank you for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thanks, Alaska. Take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to three on nine hundred CHML.